So we've been uh, working through a three, this is the third week of a three-week series on generosity. Um, one of the first things that um, I was thinking through and praying through as the idea was floated by Pastor Rodney uh, of transitioning through the leadership was just this whole area that God wants to challenge us in our generosity. And uh, that little video there was sort of a bit of a snippet of what generosity is in the kingdom of God, which is why I kind of um, wanted to show that this week. Generosity is so much the heartbeat of God towards creation. And when we get a hold of that, um, we then reveal God's heart to the, those around us. So um, then the other side of that, and I'll just share a really quick testimony the other side of this is this sense that God um, challenged me in this whole area a bit over two years ago when uh, the finance committee approached me and said, Steve, uh, we, we're believing, we're taking a step of faith. We want you to, to come full time and work for the church. Um, and, and we just want you to pray through that and see what God wants to do through that. And for me, that was a real season of change and breakthrough for my life. Uh, just sharing my story just really briefly, what actually happened for me, and I apologize for the young adults and the youth in the room because I've shared this with you, but what happened in me in that time was I spent two weeks just asking God if this was right. Uh, because I'd grown up with a work ethic. I'd grown up with um, to be the man of the house. You had to work hard, and you had to work hard to put that money uh, into the bank account so that you could put food on the table. And therefore, within my own mindset, I was the provider for my household because I was the worker. I was the one. Now, that doesn't undermine Sarah's role. She too was working and at the time even harder than I was. What that did was it was what I'm highlighting there is that was my mentality in the core of my heart. And God challenged me and took me through this journey because obviously the first thing that came to mind was, uh, God, how am I going to afford to live? I've got a mortgage. I've got bills. I've got a car, the, the, the car loan. Um, I've got three mouths to feed. And um, we were planning and talking about having a fourth child. Thank God we have that now. She's amazing. And um, so I'm like, all of these questions, can, can you hear where I'm coming from? I think genuinely we have those questions and they're not wrong but what they did for me was that they showed my heart they actually um in in prayer and on my knees before god i was i was asking god what is what is so difficult about making this decision because i'd been working toward this decision for a long time i've been working toward becoming a full-time minister for for for, 50, for 12 years and and yet I got to the threshold of this and I was scared. Like, seriously, I was scared. And God, in his gracious ways, spoke to me and he said to me, Steve, when, when did I ever make you the provider of your family? And I went, okay, this is a good one. And I had to deal with the pride issue in my heart. Because I'm not the provider of my family. If we want to walk out of true biblical faith, God is the provider. Jesus revealed God as the good father in whom we trust. He revealed something that, that um, the Israelites experienced, but never saw the fullness of that, which I think is available for us in Jesus. 
So I had to actually repent and say, God, I'm in error here. I have put myself on the throne of provision in my life when ultimately it's you. And it was a real breakthrough moment for me and has been a breakthrough moment for my finances. Now, I don't have thousands of dollars in the bank that I could just go and do these things. But what I have is so much greater. I have faith that God meets my every need as they arise. That I have faith that, that even though um, sometimes the budget might be, might be um, uh, difficult, I've always got the time to spend with people. Or I've always got the energy to go over and above and show generosity beyond the fact that I've got not a lot of money. And then when I did truly struggle, like you heard my story a couple of weeks ago, um, God met me in an abundant way in the finances so that my bills were covered. And, and, and this, is, this is sort of the journey. It started a couple of years ago, but it's really materializing now. And one day, coming into church, just driving, um, it wasn't even a, a profound prayer. It was, it was just, I was talking to God, and I said, God, what do you want me to share in the next season? And bang, he just went, here you go, and just downloaded three messages. It takes me all of 15 minutes to drive to work. And I got to work, and Rod might have thought I was a bit funny that morning, but I just got to work, and I said, hey, Rod, and I sat down, and I just wrote down dot points that God had downloaded into my life, which, which came to this thing. And, and I think that's part of the generosity of God. When we, when we humble ourselves and come to him and acknowledge who he is in our life, doorways open into these things. So I just felt that we needed to share something around that area uh, from my personal testimony as we lead into today. Um, you would remember me saying generosity this is in the first week, is a mindset toward empowering others. The, the greatest example of this was God sending his only son, Jesus. John 3.16. That was our first week. That God's mindset was to actually reach down and to pull us out of that which we could not get out of, that miry clay, and to lift us up and to establish upon us upon the rock of Jesus Christ, to wash us and cleanse us completely clean in his blood. That is a generous mindset. It was toward empowering us in a situation we could not get out of and putting us into a place where his favor and grace can be shone through. That is a loving, generous mindset. So the whole thing is all about our mindset. Where are we? Is our mindset about my kingdom? Is our mindset about my will? Is the mindset that we have um, coming from those questions, but God, how am I going to afford my bills and my, my food? That kind of mindset, is that all about me? Or are we prepared to go beyond that to what we call the realm of faith and believe that the mindset of God can become our mindset, be transformed by the renewing of your minds? The mindset that we have needs to be changed so that we become more like Jesus and live from a place of glory and not from a place of lack. See, the, the generosity is a mindset toward empowering others. If we can grasp the heart of God in this, how much can do, God do through us? And you might remember this quote. I've said it every week for three weeks. The clearest mark of God's grace in your life is a generous spirit toward others. 
It's not that you have the gospel down pat, point form, that you're able just to present it to whomever, whenever, in whatever way you think it is. That's not the marker of a generous spirit. But that you would leave that. That it's not just rote learning, but it would come and emanate from your life. The clearest mark of God's grace on your life is a generous spirit toward others. You see, see how generosity is actually not about us. And I said this in the first week. We don't give so that God would give us more. Wrong mindset. It's actually biblically correct, but it's old mindset. It's actually Old Testament. And we live in a far greater day under a far more superior covenant, the new covenant. So then I've got some scriptures to go over to, to, to sort of demonstrate really quickly what actually this means. Jesus said it this way in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 to 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We know this is the fulfillment of the old command. But it is the new command to love others. It is the generous spirit that goes beyond money, goes beyond provision, to goes towards unconditional favor and grace and love toward everyone. The second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. I believe one cannot have love for God unless God's love for them has truly impacted them in their lives. I've seen it too often. People's love grows dim. The fire in their heart of the love of God for them grows dim. And not too much longer they end up dropping out of fellowship. And not too much longer they end up into a lifestyle that is not uh, honoring and befitting a Christian, not part of the sonship of God. And they're living in a state because they have just lost this intimacy with God. They've just lost this state of connecting with the heart, the generous heart of God. It's in that connection that we make with his heartbeat that we are graced to then be generous toward others. Now, there are varying degrees of this. It's not always the way it happens. But it can't be coincidence either that when our love for God grows cold, our love for others does as well. If we're not impacted by God's love for us first and foremost, which causes us to love others, then we're not impacting other people around us. I just went to scroll up, eh? I've been using my iPad for a while and I've got paper today. I just went to scroll up. It didn't kind of work. <laughs> Paul puts it in these terms. For you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Jesus in Galatians 5, 13 to 14. You want to fulfill the new commandment, it's actually allowing the love of God to work through you. So we see grace can actually escape the calling on our lives, or can't, sorry, grace can't actually escape the calling on our lives that compels us to be generous 
through our acts of love and grace. Because it connects us to who our Father truly is. So we're looking at this whole sense of um, God's generosity. And the first week I looked at God's generosity um, to us. It was sending Jesus. And it was this context of looking at the mind, this sense of mind renewal. Then, then we looked at in the second week, uh, God's generosity for us. It wasn't just that he sent Jesus, it was that Jesus, his whole lifestyle was about living for God. Every choice he made was about honoring the Father. So we see that there is a body function that as God is generous for us and to us, that empowers us to be generous for others and to others. It's not just a mindset, it is actually an action that needs to take place. You can't say I've got a generous heart and believe that unless there is fruit that proves that. Whether that be, like I said last week, our time, our talent, or our treasures, there's three ways that we can show uh, how much God has transformed us, and there's three ways that show that we can be generous. It's not just about opening our wallet. It just seems that that's the easiest thing to connect with, and there's a reason for that. And today, my faith, my belief, my my whole being is toward breaking that off of your life. If the moment generosity comes up or the moment it comes up that it's about being good and sharing love, you start thinking about your wallet, then there's a serious issue there. Like I said, I'm not the provider for my life. God is. You see, what we tend to do and. And uh, Friday in preparing this message, God was really hammering about this. What we actually tend to do is we hold money up there in a place of idolatry where we actually need to break through that. Money is a tool. It is a resource. Yes, we are to be wise with it. Yes, we are to be good stewards of it. But it is only a tool. It is not a God. Why should we get so caught up with something as common as money? It's common. You mightn't think it's common in your situation at the moment, but there's billions and trillions of dollars out there. And God laughs and sneezes at that because he owns even more than that. Think about the national debt of America. I don't know how many trillions of dollars that is now, hundreds of trillions of dollars. God sneezes at that. Hey, maybe 17. Thanks, Jamie. Um, might have been hundreds somewhere along the line in my own thinking. So God's generosity, if, if it's about the mind and about the spirit, uh, about the body, then we look at the third person of the Trinity who is the Holy Spirit. And we being created in the likeness of God uh, are also spirit. In fact, God looks at you and sees you as spirit before he sees you as body and mind, which is a good thing. Because it's your spirit that's holy. It's your spirit that's righteous. It's your spirit that's redeemed. And the rest of it's in a process of sanctification. I'm so glad God looks at my spirit. Because it's there he dwells by the power of his Holy Spirit. And it's tapping into this that God is able to be generous through us. Because, like I said, if we're caught up in the mind, you can stumble and falter. And if God tells you, 
to give a figure of money, for example, the easy example again, if God tells you to give a figure of money, your mind automatically says, where's that coming from? Yeah? Yeah, you might go and look in the bank and you say, okay, I've got it. Do I want to let go of it? And then your body's actually got to make the decision to transfer or to go and pull that money out of the ATM and then take it from the right hand and put it into the left hand so you can confuse yourself and go and give it to whoever God told you to give it to. Like, but when with spirit, uh, generosity comes from the spirit, it actually supersedes the body and the, the mind. Because then we start to really hear and really move from God's heart. Because that's how he's speaking to us. So there's this practical side of generosity, but there's also a spiritual side to generosity. So I'm going to look at, we want to look at two, uh, 2 Corinthians 3 today. And I just want to break this down and make it um, relate in this area that we're focusing on. I don't want to go right back into what Paul was actually saying um, because, yes, that is very important, but we've got to be on what the Spirit's saying right now to us today. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 3, verse 1 of his second, it was actually his third epistle, but we don't have the first one, so um, we call it the second. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be shown and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Like I said, it's great to know that the Spirit of God lives within our hearts. Have you ever questioned your salvation? Don't have to answer that. It's not about who's better than the other. But if you're anything like me, you may have. Have you ever had your salvation questioned by others? Probably. Have you ever thought, how can I be saved? Maybe this is all hogwash. Or well, there doesn't seem to be any cha uh, change in my life. Are you looking somewhere in your life for tangible proof? Well, many in Paul's day were. The, the religious leaders, they'd risen up and, and they were trying to bring oppression back into the way, the people who followed the way, those who uh, were called Christians afterwards. Uh, those who followed Jesus, they were trying to bring oppression back in and trying to get them to live under the law. We call them people today wolves in sheep's clothing. They're just trying to bring old covenant back into something that God made freely available through Jesus. Paul is saying, you and I, the church, he's also saying him and those who are traveling with him, we are, in fact, letters of recommendation. The change that has taken place in our hearts is nothing to sneer at. The hope we have as um, people in a congregation, even leaders of a congregation, is not by the confession alone, but by the actions of the body through individual members within it. Verse 3 says, And you show that you are. 
We are saved not because we recite a prayer, although this can be helpful to focus and bring focus in those moments, but we are saved because we believe, because we confess the cross and Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that we are sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself comes and dwells in our heart. It's called regeneration. That which was dead is made alive, and it's made alive by the Spirit of God living and dwelling within us. He makes us a temple of His glory. And when we walk in accordance to this truth and responsive to the voice of Holy Spirit, then we live like an epistle before God and man. An epistle is a letter, and a letter can be read can't it it's tangible you can hold it and you can read it well god paul is saying here that you your life is like a letter being read by all what's your letter saying is it saying like the wolves would have you say those ones who were dressed in sheep's clothing that you cannot be blessed until you give to god is there this sense that um, the letter that you're reading, that you're doing all of the things you do so that God may favor you and bring you into salvation? Well, if that be the case, then you're walking under the wrong letter, the wrong law, the wrong covenant. And Jesus' death was far greater than you walking in oppression. Your letter should read freedom. It should read grace. It should read love. It should read this sense of generosity that comes from God. Second Corinthians continues by saying in verse 4, if it's going to come up, there we go. <clears throat> Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Are you confident that God who has started a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion in your life? then if you're confident that God can do that, then you need to be confident in your salvation and you need to be confident that God has called you, equipped you, empowered you by His grace to be this letter that can be written. It is God that we look to. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, like I said in my testimony, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. This is you. You are sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you haven't already made the connection, Paul is discussing the difference between the old covenant and the new. The letter of the law carved into stone of the letter uh, or, or, the, or the letter of freedom that is actually written upon the flesh of your hearts, the spirit of your life. There's this sense that, that, God, that Paul is doing this comparison so that we could get an understanding that we walk in freedom. If we live by the law, all we could ever expect to receive is the result of the law, which is death. Because you and I could never fill every dot, every title, every commandment of the law. 
So we understand that the wages of then of that is death. So if we live by the Spirit, uh, by the law, we have coming to us what is coming. It's not blessing. It's not provision. It's not love. It's not grace. It is actually death. We know there is no one perfect, not one. But the Spirit, He brings life. The Spirit of God makes us sufficient ministers of what? Sufficient ministers of ministering law? No. Sufficient ministers of ministering and administering faith in the new covenant. Faith that God has achieved and God has prevailed and He's now doing so in our life. That is the story of sanctification. So whose sufficiency are you trusting in? Yours or God's? I know two years ago I was trusting in my own, in this one area, my finances. What area are you trusting yourself in? It might not be finances. It might be your time. It might actually be your talents. You might be sitting on a talent that you don't want no one to understand or no one to see because if you do that, then you're going to be challenged to be available for God. That's interesting, isn't it? You might be sitting on an area and thinking, it's okay. It's sufficient. It works in my prayer closet. It works in my time alone with God. It works for me. But God wants to smash you out of that. He wants you to be generous with your talent. He wants you to be generous with your time. And he wants you to be generous with your treasure. Whose sufficiency are you trusting in? Yours or God's? Paul continues. We'll get through this one a bit quicker. Paul continues. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came as such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. This is a great question, isn't it, Paul? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? If you want to find that story, it's Exodus 34, 27. Uh, We won't go there for time. But Moses goes up, spends time before God, and you can check out all of this and read it. And when he comes down and he presents the Lord to the elders, it says that his face shone with the glory of God. I want you to see something, though. Moses veiled his face, not because the people couldn't look at his face, but because the glory was diminishing. I'll say that again. We often read it and think it's because people couldn't dare look at his face because of the glory of God. He didn't veil it so that people couldn't see God's glory through him. He veiled it because he didn't want people to see that it was diminishing, that it was getting less and less and less. Because the covenant of law is not sufficient and the glory upon that covenant is not sufficient for salvation for victory, for life, for fullness, 
Only the covenant that we live in today in Jesus Christ is fully sufficient and is a perpetual glory that grows from glory to glory. Are we not in that covenant today? Are you not called to grow from glory to glory? You see, we don't have to veil our faces. We're actually called to lift the veil off our faces, to be letters that are written and read so that people can see God's light through you. How many of us are walking around veiled before the people because we're not seeing that God is all sufficient in our life? And we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be the bane of someone's jokes or laughter because we sometimes get in the way of God's glory working through us. I'm there. I I can be honest and say that's me every day. I've got to actually choose to let God work through me. As much as I look forward to being here sharing this with you today, something in my humanity says run. But you see, if we're going to live like open epistles, we've got to rip that out and tell that thought to go away and let God be God and his sons and daughters obedient to him. Are you trusting in your sufficiency or in God's? Verse 10. Oh, that probably was 10, was it? Uh, We'll go there. Keep moving. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, When they read the old covenant, that same veil remains, unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Where does your allegiance lie? Are you ruled by the flesh or are you ruled by the spirit? Are you believing that consequences are coming because you were ruled by law? That you do an action and God's going to punish you? Is your conscience veiled because there is an area in your life that you have not yet yielded to the risen Christ? The good news for you today is that Jesus Christ has taken upon himself every consequence for sin that there is. He became a curse for us. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you able to say that with conviction, with the fullness of assurity that in Christ you are not being condemned? Verse 17 and 18. This is, this is the central point, the, the end of this passage that I want us to hear. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is how God wants us to live. 
He wants us to live free from judgment, free from performance, free from guilt. He wants us to embrace his spirit of generosity by allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work of total freedom with and through our lives. Freedom's not about the freedom to go and do whatever you want. Freedom is to live fully in the capacity of God's abundant grace and favor of your life, of which there is bounds, of which there is boundaries written in His Word. It is not the freedom to go and do whatever we like. But that is true freedom. Because why would God give you freedom to go and destroy your life once again? If we truly believe the gospel was good news, we would not be able to contain our generosity. We would live radically generous lives empowered by the Spirit. If we truly believe the gospel was as good news as it is, we would not be able to contain our generosity. <clears throat> This is what it is to believe that we are blessed to be a blessing. And it flows through every area of our lives. Generosity touches every area. Our time, our talent, our treasures. Do you spend time with people not worried about anything, but focused on them and encouraging them? Or when you're listening to them, are you thinking about what you're cooking for dinner? Are you thinking about getting the kids ready? Are you thinking about the next meeting that you've got to run to? <clears throat> do you invest your talents into the opportunities God brings along so that you can see a return? God's a pretty good investor, isn't he? We see some stories that Jesus uses about investing talents. And that might be a bit of a play on words or a pun per se. But you invest your talent, there will become a payoff, a reward, a growth of your talent. The best musicians are not the ones who are talented. The best musicians are the ones who invest their talent in practice. They expose themselves to growing. They expose themselves to places where they'll be challenged. <clears throat> Do you live knowing above all else that God will never allow you to lack in the basic needs for your life. Isn't this what Jesus opened us up to believe? There may be seasons that bring hardship where we have to learn dependence upon God and faith. But do you believe these are opportunities for growth and breakthrough? This is the freedom Jesus wants us to live in. Not controlled by our own agendas, but the agendas of the kingdom. Inconveniences. Three things I want you to take home really quickly. Inconveniences become opportunities. I'm not going to explain them. I just want you to write them down if you're taking notes. Inconveniences become opportunities. If you're living generous, if you're living uh, from a heart of generosity, then you will not despise inconveniences. You will see them as God opportunities. Third, secondly, if you want to live radically generous, then you need to watch what you say. The very thing that undermines your faith is not 
the devil, it's your mouth. It's your tongue. It's what comes out in your unbelief. <clears throat> who remembers this, the story of the father with the son who um, was having epileptic fits? And these fits were throwing this son, this boy, into the fire. What did he say to Jesus? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. <clears throat> so it's not wrong to have doubt. It's not wrong to not be fully believing. What's wrong is to have the pride to hide your unbelief. Pride separates us from what God wants to do. To think that you are far greater and far better and far more superior and know more about your situation than God does is actually a pride sin in your life. God knows fully before you even ask what you're thinking, what you're believing, where you're at. If we can keep our mouths quiet, we might see a few more things happen in our midst. We might see a few more breakthroughs we're believing for breakthroughs in finance or we're believing for breakthroughs in time if we're believing for breakthroughs in your talent being invested if we could just close our mouth sometimes the very first thing we say stops the move of god instead of saying amen let it be what we say is no nah, god wouldn't do that and we actually vocalize that and we stop the move of the spirit God doesn't want you to be like that. So inconveniences become opportunities. If you want to live radically generous, then watch what you say. And thirdly, release the kingdom. A generous mindset will look to impart something of the kingdom to those they encounter. If you want to live generous, if you want to live radically, if you want to live before God and be that letter that God has written and inscribed on your very hearts, then your every opportunity needs to be about releasing the kingdom of God. Instead of saying the negative thing about what you're not believing, speak out the very things of goodness upon that person, that their faith may be encouraged, be overcomers. Tash, can I invite you to come? God said what he wanted to say today. I believe that. I have no doubt about that. What is said is said. What is not said is unsaid and will not be said. Make sense? The Spirit of God can do a work in our lives if only we believe. Now yesterday, the pastors came together and the elders. We come together and we pray. And we came together and we are praying yesterday and I really felt God just preempt something. And I challenged us as pastors and leaders in the church, I challenged us to start thinking generous, to start living what we're actually speaking. And for that to happen, to model generosity as a church, mindsets even in the leadership needed to change. We've had instances where um, it, there's been opportunities to invest into the kingdom of God and we've gone sometimes with the cheapest opportune option because of the, the want to be wise with our finances. I, I challenged that and I said, doesn't God want us to have His best? And we spent time yesterday just reflecting on that 
and we prayed. And because God burdened me with it, I stood in the gap for the church and the leadership, and I stood in the gap for the the body of this church, and I repented to God that our mindsets have not been, although they were honouring and God-fearing, they weren't always coming from a place of the new creation. And as you walk out of these things, sometimes there'll be little bits of pieces of lag that we need to actually challenge. And sometimes you might hear something and you go, hang on a minute. That doesn't sound like what Steve was saying up there on the pulpit. Or I give you permission to say to me, Steve, that's not actually living the way God has challenged you to live. Because I want you to allow me the opportunity to say that to you. And I can't live like that overbearing you I have to live open and honest on the same level that God has us on we're all saved by grace so I give you permission to speak into my life when I'm not being generous if you would give me the permission to speak into yours and that's take some courage and it's risky and as I said that Some of you said, why did Steve need to apologize to God? Why did he need to repent? Because until my people humble themselves and repent and pray, God won't heal his land. So the buck stops with me when it comes to that, if God's challenging me in that area for the church. So I stood in the gap and I said, God, Break free today. Break our mindsets. Break the poverty mindset off of our life so that we could live generous and free in the Spirit of God. This is not about money. No, don't ever think that is where I'm coming from. This is all about living a life of generosity. The first week I said, we are taking up an offering that will not benefit the church in one way or another, except it will benefit us because it will show God that we mean what we say. Today, we are going to take up an offering. And that offering, you do not know where it's going yet, but you have my guarantee that that money will be kept aside until the until Holy Spirit highlights to us the charity or organisations within our city that we need to bless. And I will tell you when that happens. But today, it's not about where it's going, it's about your heart. So I'm going to invite two of the ushers to come with baskets. We're not going to go and pass the offering around, the basket around, but this is your challenge. This is your challenge. It's not about me. It's not about me watching what you're doing. It's about your heart and God's. Before God right now, you're making a stand and saying, God, I choose to live by the new creation. I choose to give what God has abundantly given to me. And this is my step of faith. And I'm going to make another thing available to you. If your first thought was, where's this money coming from, God? 
If your first thought was, I can't give because tomorrow I've got this bill to pay. Or if your first thought was, Steve just wants my money. Then I'm making available this space up here. And the pastors and the elders of this church want to pray with you. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to set you free of a poverty spirit over your life. I say spirit, but what I actually mean is a poverty mindset. It is a mindset to say, I am the one who provides for my family. God wants to break that off your life and show you how good He is. So I invite the pastors and the elders to come and stand on my left and my right. Now you might come out. You might throw a few coins in the basket and that's fine. That might be all you have. That is wonderful. That is great. And it is to be to your honor and glory. But as you put something in there, I want you to go past one of these people and say, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? If you want this broken off your life, today's the day. We're going to live a generous church. We're going to bless this city and bless the socks off this place by the letters that we are written, by the inscribing of the spirit of freedom in our lives. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus has freedom here for you today. Do you believe Him? Come now. Come now as your heart is led. Walk forward and say, God, I choose to break this mindset off my life. And I live generous for you. If you want help, there's five of us up here that can pray with you. We'll just take some time and ministry. I know I'm conscious of the time. But do not leave this place if you need prayer. God wants to set you free.